We are asking to have Jesus teach us how to pray, how to pray like Jesus prayed, how to pray like never before because yesterday's level of praying is not going to be sufficient for today's challenges and today's opportunities. As we continue to work our way through this model prayer, this model of praying that Jesus gave to his disciples and to us in answer to their request, Lord, teach us to pray. We're coming to some very familiar requests. Quest, uh, but what do those actually mean and how do those impact the way that we pray? I don't know who said it first, but many, many, many have said it since. And it usually goes something like this. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Like that? In a highly polarized world in which we live, in a, in a highly politicized environment, in an election year and impeachment things and all that's going on in our country where candidates on both sides quote scripture, where people pray for their agenda, for their team, for their side, it is good to remind ourselves that Jesus didn't come to take sides, but he came to take over. And that's what it means uh, when we talk about the, the kingdom of God. That's what we are praying toward when Jesus taught us to pray in that model prayer in, in uh, Matthew 6. We're looking at that version of it. Matthew 6, uh, some of us may have memorized it something like this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. But what are we praying when we pray that? What are we, what are we asking? What are we crying out to God for? Well, theologians have written books upon books upon books of, of what is involved in, in the kingdom of, of God. For, for our purposes, let me just give you kind of a description, definition that's been helpful to me. The kingdom of God, to me, is simply the rule and the reign of God. It's wherever, and I think whenever, Jesus Christ is properly recognized and responded to as the rightful king. And that can happen in the life of an individual, a group, a family, a church, uh, perhaps uh, even potential with enough. Uh, it can color the direction of a nation. It is wherever Jesus Christ is properly recognized, for he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and rightly responded to as the rightful ruler, the rightful king. Now that sounds pretty simple, and yet it can be radical in its implications. So I wanted to kind of lean into it just a, just a little bit, and, and, and again, uh, theologians have, have written volumes about this, and there's no way we'll do justice to all of that in the few moments we have this morning. But let me invite you to think about uh, the kingdom, God's kingdom, coming in, in three particular ways, coming to earth in three particular ways. And I think this understanding helps frame the way that we understand this part of the model prayer. The, the kingdom of God comes to earth through the conversion of 
of unbelievers. Through the conversion of unbelievers, when someone who was separated from God, and that's my story and your story, apart from the intervention of Jesus Christ, separated from God because of our sin, because of our choosing our way instead of God's way, is touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, convicting them of sin and calling them to himself that they turn in repentance and they turn from trusting in self and trusting in the completed finished work of Jesus Christ. There is a transfer of kingdoms. In fact, is when the gospels record Jesus' proclamation, he often talked about the kingdom. Mark's gospel puts it this way. After John was arrested, so this is kind of the front end of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Paul would talk about that we are transferred from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. That there is this transfer of kingdoms that takes place when someone is genuinely transformed from the inside out by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the the kingdom comes kind of individually. One way that it comes very practically and one of the implications of our praying is we're praying for the conversion of unbelievers. But not only conversion of unbelievers, but the kingdom also comes through the commitment of believers, through the commitment of believers. For those that are already a part of, by his grace, this kingdom of God, they're standing now as an adopted child of God, but the trajectory of their life begins to change. So in Matthew 6, this same chapter where the Lord's Prayer is recorded for us, in this same chapter, there's Jesus talking about where you you lay up treasures and, and don't be anxious uh, for some of the things like uh, we're eating and clothing and all those things, legitimate concerns, each and every one. But he says, instead of being anxious, instead of letting that be the primary focus of your energies and your efforts and your thoughts, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that we tend to worry about will be added to you. Let the first priority of your heart be seeking after the rightful rule and reign of God. Your response, your right response to the rulership of Jesus Christ in your life. When you seek that first, when you seek his kingdom agenda first, all these other things will be added unto you. And so one of the ways that the kingdom comes to earth in a right here, right now fashion is when I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, prioritize the seeking of God's kingdom kingdom above all the other things that I will see in my life. It's through the conversion of an unbeliever, through the commitment of a believer. But there's a 
another way that the New Testament talks about the kingdom of God coming to earth, and that is the commencement of Christ's earthly reign. The commencement of Christ's earthly reign. So if you, you see glimpses of that throughout the Scripture, you go to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the last chapter, and the, almost the last verse, there's kind of this, this summation of the commencement or the con- consummation of Christ's earthly reign. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. There is this this sense that, that we live in this between time. We live in this already but not yet. The kingdom of God has already come as Jesus Christ came proclaiming the kingdom uh, through his life, through his death, his burial, his resurrection. He, he solidified the claim of his kingdom. His kingdom is already at work in transforming the lives of individuals. As those individuals seek first the kingdom, they live as salt and light in the world of decay and darkness. And so there is already this sense the kingdom is already at work. It's already come. And it's though not yet. It is not yet fully consummated, fully come. Said another way, the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, but not yet fully consummated. It has been inaugurated in what Jesus Christ has already done, but it is not yet fully consummated. That is yet to come. So sometimes you read in the scripture about the kingdom of God, and there is this future look. There is this look toward its full consummation. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do between the already and the not yet? Well, in the meantime, you and I carry out the commission, the commission of the king to make disciples of the king. That's part of what it means to seek first his kingdom. We seek the expansion of his kingdom through through seeing people bow their heart and life to the rightful lordship of Jesus Christ. And so he gave to us that great commission to go into all the world and to make disciples. And that's part of our calling, part of advancing the kingdom between the already it's come and it's not yet fully consummated, that we are on this, this mission. But please understand, when we pray this part of the prayer, when we pray in alignment with this phrase of the prayer, we are praying a militant prayer. It is a militant missionary prayer. Think for a moment. A kingdom doesn't come into a vacuum. When the kingdom, a kingdom comes, it replaces another kingdom. It takes over another kingdom. That's why you have that language, particularly in the New Testament, of spiritual warfare. That there is a kingdom that already exists. It goes by lots of names. We talk about the, the prince of the air, the, uh, the, the kingdom of, of darkness, uh, uh, sin, self, rebellion, whatever you, label you want to put on. There is this kingdom that is the opposite of, the antithesis of, the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God to come 
There is going to be a conquest. There is going to be a replacement of the kingdom that is currently at work in the world. And that's true on an individual level. That's true on a worldwide level. So part of the heart of this prayer is, is a militant spiritual battle, but it is also a missionary prayer. We are praying for the expansion of God's kingdom. We are praying, as we talk about here, of the fulfillment of our vision to be an aircraft carrier to unleash a movement of Christ-centered, spirit-empowered world changers. That's the heart of this petition in the prayer, that we are praying, God, from this place, release men and women, release students, children, into every fabric of society, every facet of our society, across the street and around the world, that we want to be this place that launches people forth who are carrying on kingdom activity, who are involved in every facet of of our society, whether that's education or entertainment, whether that's business or or, or, um, the home life or society, profit, nonprofit, military, wherever that may be, that we are releasing people into all of those things, salt and light, who are going forth, taking forth the kingdom of God and the proclamation of of the gospel by which the kingdom advances. The kingdom of God, that rightful rule and reign of God, properly recognized and properly responded to, it is, happens when unbelievers are converted, when believers live in hot-hearted commitment and surrender uh, to the will and the way of God, seeking first his kingdom, and then ultimately look for the commencement of Christ's full earthly reign. In the meantime, we are part of that militant missionary force advancing the kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now lay alongside that the, the, the second petition, thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And likewise, we can think of three aspects of God's will. And again, I realize theologians have written book after book and uh, article after article about all the different facets of the will of God. But let's, let's just put three handles on it for the, for the sake of our understanding this morning. Three aspects of God's will. First, we can talk about God's comprehensive will. His comprehensive will, or said another way, his, his will of decree that this is what God is going to do in a sense regardless. It's, it's God's will. He says it. It gets done. Uh, the prophet Isaiah talked about it in these terms. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Sometimes when you're reading in the scripture, you're reading about the will of God, it's a reference to this comprehensive will of God, this this decree that nothing is going to change, nothing is going to alter. It has been planned, so shall it be. It has been purposed, so shall it stand. So you see that even even in, in creation. So God speaks, let there be light. 
boom, the will of God, the comprehensive will of God, it takes place. As it was planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. So there is one facet of, there are things that God is going to do, God is going to bring about that is his comprehensive will. So match that up against what we were just talking about. So the consummation of of God's kingdom, the coming of Jesus Christ is part of this comprehensive will. It has been planned, so shall it be. It's been purposed, so it shall stand. And that gives us confidence. That gives us hope. We know that God has spoken. We know that God is going to bring that to pass. It is God's comprehensive will. But a second way that sometimes the scripture uh, may talk about the will of God, or we may uh, think about it, uh, we might sum up under the phrase God's compassionate will. God's compassionate will. Sometimes folks will talk about the God's will of desire. It's kind of an expression of the desire of God's heart. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. Jesus, when he was on the earth, as he came to Jerusalem one time, he he gave a glimpse into the compassionate will of God, the desire of God. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. It is this this desire. I would have gathered your children together. This expression of the desire of God and his compassion reaching out, desiring people to come to him. Peter, who came to understand certainly God's compassion and patience, uh, talked about God's timing, and that gives us another glimpse of that compassionate will of God. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Well, if this is God's comprehensive will, why hasn't it happened yet? But he is patient towards you, not wishing, here's the desire, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There is this this heart expression of God. This would be the, the desire, this desire, this compassionate will of God that so often uh, extends to us in patience and long-suffering toward us, even at times in our rebellion against him and against his kingdom. We can kind of tag this to what we just talked about under the, uh, the, the kingdom of God. God's compassionate will would be tied into the conversion of unbelievers, that there is this desire to see people respond with repentance and faith in the provision of Jesus Christ. There is the compassionate will of God, but then there's this whole category we might lay uh, God's commanding will. God's commanding will. These are the things that God has directed for us to do. Out of his wisdom, out of his love, out of of his knowledge of what's best for us, what blesses others, what honors him, he gives us these clear 
commands. This is how to order your life as a citizen of my kingdom. And there's so many, many examples of that. Paul, writing to the Romans, talked about the new capacity they have now because they are a follower of Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That there is something that has changed in you, Paul's saying, and I'm thanking God for that. That now you used to be a slave to sin, but now, now you have a new capacity, obedience from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. In John 14, Jesus put it even more succinctly. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not that if you keep my commandments, you'll earn my love. No, 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 no. It's because as a recipient of my love, as a heart that's been transformed by his love and his grace, my love response to him bears the fruit of obedience to his commands. My obedience doesn't earn his love. My obedience is a fruit that reflects a love that has transformed my heart and my life. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, the commanding will of God. And so Paul, writing to the Philippians, one more example, he is confident of their obedience because of what God is doing in their life. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And here's his confidence. For it is God who works in you, both to will, to desire, and to work to be able to do for his good pleasure. That God has commanded His commands uh, tell us how to live. This is the commitment of a believer living under the rightful rule and reign of God. This is seeking first the kingdom of God. And we do that because he has enabled us to do it. He creates the desire, the will, and the capacity, the enabling grace to work for his good pleasure, to do what he has commanded us to do. Andrew Murray, a classic writings in in walking with uh, Christ, uh, put it this way. In heaven, God's will is done, and the master teaches the child to ask that his will may be done on earth just as it is in heaven. In the spirit of adoring submission and ready obedience, where faith has accepted the Father's love, obedience accepts the Father's will. Now, I want to leave that up there for just a moment because there's some meat on those bones, all right? On earth as it is in heaven, in a spirit of adoring submission and ready obedience. It's not a begrudging. It's not I better obey or God's going to zap me. It is an obedience born out of a adoring submission, the greatness of our God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
This adoring submission gives ready obedience. There's a, there's a readiness, an immediacy, a joyfulness to that. Where faith has accepted the Father's love, where I have opened my life up to the Father's love, I stand in an obedience that accepts the Father's will. Here's another way to say it. It is only when we trust the Father's heart that we will joyfully and completely do the Father's will. See, that's, that's why the phrases of this prayer, this model prayer that Jesus taught us, they, they aren't necessarily independent. We're looking at them kind of a phrase at a time, but they're interconnected. They build one upon another. They are dependent on and work with one another. It is when we recognize him as our heavenly father, when we trust his love, his wisdom, his purposes for us and through us, when we trust in that, then we completely and joyfully do the Father's will. Here's the thing. When you and I struggle to do the commanding will of the Father, to trust in the sovereign will of the Father, as you trace it, as you get below the surface, it usually goes to our understanding of who God is. That there is something missing, there is something distorted, there is something lacking in our understanding of who God is and our response to that. Because the more that we trust the Father's heart, the more it'll bear fruit in our life of joyfully and completely doing the Father's will. Because I believe, I come to believe he knows what is best. He desires what is best. He commands what is best. And because I trust his love, his wisdom, his power, his purposes, I want to align myself with his will. When I struggle to do his will, I need to go back and look at what am I thinking about the one, the God to whom I am praying. See, when we pray for God's will to be done, we're praying kind of for two sides of a coin. We're praying, first of all, and this is maybe the side that comes to mind first, we're praying for active obedience, that we may do God's will actively in what he commands. So, so we, we are praying, God, help me to do what you've commanded to do. Help me to trust you. Help me to follow you. Empower me with your strength and grace to be able to do that which you have in your wisdom, in your love, in your power, commanded that I do. Because I know it'll bring the most honor and glory to you. And the, when you're most honored, I am most blessed. And I know it is best for me me, and it'll be the most blessing to others. And so I engage, I pray toward an active obedience that we may do God's will actively in what he commands. But there's another side of that coin. And when we're praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're also praying for what we'll call it a passive obedience. A passive obedience, and that's not that we don't do nothing. It's that we may submit to God's will patiently in whatever he inflicts. Now, hold on just a moment. The reality is we live in a world between already and not yet. 
The kingdom has already been inaugurated, but it is not yet fully consummated. And in that in-between time, we still live in a world that is experiencing the ravages and the damages of sin. And sometimes that's outside of us, sometimes that's inside of us. Sometimes things happen because of our choices. Sometimes things happen that are way beyond our choices. But we can suffer those things. And how we respond to those, those things that God and his sovereignty have allowed, purposed in our life, is about our submitting to his kingdom and his will. Let me give you another quote, this one from Tim Keller. If we can't say, thy will be done, from the bottom of our hearts, we will never know any peace. We will feel compelled to try to control people and control our environment and make things the way we believe they ought to be. Anybody else done that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like line starts here, right? Yeah. Yet, to control life like this is beyond our abilities. And we will just dash ourselves upon the rocks. This is why Calvin adds that to pray thy will be done is to submit not only our wills to God, but even our feelings so that we do not become despondent, bitter, and hardened by the things that befall us. And you've experienced this, and I've experienced this in our lives personally, but particularly in the lives of other people as we kind of watched and observed through the years. We've seen people who something doesn't go right, something doesn't go their way. They come face to face with their inability to control everything in the world. And their response is to get bitter. To get hardened, perhaps to come become despondent. And we can do that personally, and we certainly have seen it in the lives of other people. On the other hand, we have witnessed those folks that seem to have suffered far worse at times, and somehow it doesn't make them bitter. They don't become hard. They, they don't give in to despondency, but they, they still have a, a hope. They, they walk with a, a joy, not because of their circumstances, but in spite of their circumstances, because they, they have come to, to recognize who their father is, how great he is. They have come to trust that even though they would have never signed up for this journey, even though they would have never asked or invited this into their life, God and his His sovereignty has saw fit to allow that into their life, and he has a reason, he has a purpose, and I may not fully understand it, and I may never fully grasp it, but I choose to trust him. I choose to surrender to his will and way. Jesus teaches us to pray, thy will, before give us. And give us as a legitimate prayer. We're going to look at that phrase next week. Give us this day our daily bread. But he teaches us to pray thy will before give us. To remind us that the purpose of prayer is not primarily, oh please hear this, it's not primarily to bend God's will to meet 
our wants and needs, but to shape our will to be conformed to God's will. It is this invitation to communion, invitation to, to relationship with God. And in prayer, he, he, we come to a wise and loving and patient, powerful Father. And we come, and yes, we can pour out our heart to Him. We'll talk about it next week. But more than that, we find that what He does in and through to us in prayer is transformational. That we don't badger God to get him to do our will. But as we continually show up in the presence of the king, in the presence of our father, he shapes our will to be conformed to his. We love to quote Romans 8, 28. We know that in all these things, this God who is at work, all things, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, he is at work, right? causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But most folks stop there. But the next verse tells us what he is doing in the midst of that. He is conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He is conforming us to his will. There are gonna come times in all of our lives as we pray for his kingdom and his will, that it challenges us. Because in the short term, in the immediate, it feels painful. It feels like the cost is higher than the benefit. And in those moments, we may be tempted to doubt. When, when things that are out of our control come crushing in and we begin to wonder, we begin to wonder about his love, we begin to wonder about his wisdom, we begin to wonder about his power, and I just take you back to the gospel. When you doubt the Father's love, look to the cross. Look to the cross. Keep going back to the gospel. Look to the cross, and we said it so many times before, where Jesus stretched out his arms and said, I love you this much. And he who gave his son for us, how will he not also along with him give us everything we need for life and for godliness? When you doubt his love, look to the cross. When you find yourself doubting his power, look to the empty tomb. Look to the empty tomb and remind yourself that he is the God of resurrection. He is the God who is greater than even death itself. He is the one who is coming in the fullness of the risen Lord Jesus Christ to consummate his kingdom. When you doubt his love, when you doubt his power, you go back to the foundation of the gospel. Some believers were gathered in a prayer meeting. And an elderly woman pleaded that night, it really doesn't matter what you do with us, Lord. Just have your way with our lives. At that particular meeting, there was a rather well-known itinerant Bible teacher, Adelaide Pollard. And she was deeply discouraged because she had been unable to raise the necessary funds for a desired trip to Africa to do missionary service. And she was so moved 
by this elderly saint's sincere and dedicated request to God. Then she got home and she opened up her Bible and she came to Jeremiah 18, three and four. Then I went down to the potter's house and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Before retiring that evening, Adelaide Pollard completed writing all four stanzas of a hymn that we still sing to this day. It was first published in 1907. And as children of God, it reminds us of this petition. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Search me and try me, master today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now. As in thy presence, humbly I bow. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, all power, surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold over my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray to him together. Oh, Father, for this incredible privilege of prayer, we give you thanks. And for the fact that you have allowed us to be a part of your kingdom through the work of Jesus Christ, we stand in awe. We praise you and thank you for the gift of your grace, for we deserve it not. And so, Father, today, I just thank you. And, Lord, I, I pray, I pray, Lord, for any in this room right here, right now, uh, that have never submitted to your rightful rule and reign in their life, that, Lord, today would be that day. Today would be the day of a transfer of kingdoms, a transformation of their life. And, Father, as you have us as a church family, we're, we're praying for our one that one individual that you have put front and center in our life that we are crying out for them to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord, as rightful ruler and King. Father, in these moments right now, we take their name and we lift it before your throne and we ask that your kingdom would come in their life, that they would come in repentance and faith to you. And Lord, for those of us that name your name in these moments right here, right now, 
We ask you, Lord, teach us anew and afresh to seek you and your kingdom first and foremost. Father, we take up the words of the hymn as our prayer. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. And I'm just going to invite you to take these next couple of moments.